welcome to the Holy Community Church. My name is Deneen Wilmer. I'm guest worshiping today, and I'm so glad to be here. We're going to uh, start worshiping this morning, so we ask everyone to please stand, and let's just worship God together.
big hug and kiss. <laughs> If you know kids that may benefit from it in your neighborhood, your family, please encourage them. Get them, tell, tell them to go to our website, ljcc.org dash or slash summer dash camp. Or you can just go to the website and Google camp or search camp. But we also have some serving opportunities. We have needs in our youth. You saw all the youth filling up up here, the youth in the high school, and Ryan takes them out. He's looking for someone to help him out. If you have the, if the ability to go to the store and buy chips and deliver them on time, you can do stuff with the youth group. Press a PowerPoint button that goes slide, slide, slide. You can do this, low barrier but high impact. Ryan and Rihanna are doing fantastic things with the kids, but they need support. They need people to come around and do the little things here and there to just help that ministry grow so much. Rihanna, we don't see her much in here, but she's in the back with the kids serving and loving on them. If you can hold a baby, if you can stand by the door and greet people, or if you can just pick stuff up and put it away, we have a spot for you, and I guarantee you it's going to be very high impact for these kids. So if you have a question or if you want to sign up, 
right out there after the service, there's a sign-up sheet, just throw your name on there. Even if you're not sure, just have the conversation, and I guarantee you will be blessed. Like I said earlier, we're a church that's rooted in prayer. So I'd like to invite Bridget up to pray for us this morning.
parked there with a stroller and this little guy in it that looked exactly like our grandson. So I thought at first, oh my gosh, that kid looks just like him. And I started talking to the lady. She said, she sort of caught off guard. She said, oh, well, sorry, but we, I, I can't walk my grandson without him telling me through noises and pointing and everything else, we have to come by this garden. Uh, that's why he has a rose in his hand. Okay, kid. You know, so, so we went and cut him a bunch of roses and said, hey, take this back to your, to your mom. And it was so fun just celebrating that moment of, of what a garden can do. This is our series, Rooted in Christ. We're talking about the fact that God wants us to grow and thrive and blossom and bloom and bear fruit. Uh, Easter is a big moment, unless we don't make it a big moment. But nothing is the same because of Easter. And it's not the same because as we put our roots deep in Christ, things happen that we could have never imagined uh, or anticipated happening otherwise. Uh, and so, what's the difference between uh, a garden and an empty lot? A plant with roots in the soil. And so that's, that's where we're going, that's why we're talking about, uh, about being rooted in Christ. Well, we've been talking about all kinds of interesting things, uh, maybe inspiring things. I want to talk about something that's, that's not quite as interesting and inspiring as it is a little bit nerve-rattling and, and chilling, and it can be very intimidating. I want to talk about this phrase, there is an enemy. There is an enemy. <clears throat> That's a chilling phrase, isn't it? Uh, there is an enemy. Um, I love, you know, some of you might know Gene Rumsey. Gene Rumsey is a fantastic uh, founding member of this church. He created the trauma system in San Diego. He's a phenomenal surgeon as well. But Gene has this great approach to life. Uh, he one time told me, that it changed my perspective. He said, you know, I just go through the day and the week in my life assuming everybody likes me. The gene has brilliant. He said, yeah, why wouldn't they? Everybody should like me. Everybody likes me. And I said, that's an awesome way to go through, through life, right? Instead of panicked and, and insecure and uptight. Except for the fact that there is an enemy. There is an enemy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So here's the word of God. Uh, this is out of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, this describes Jesus having a confrontation uh, with not a fictitious character, a real character, a real creature, a created being uh, whose name in Scripture is uh, Satan. Uh, uh, Satan is a Hebrew word. It means adversary. Uh, <clears throat> when it's used about this person, this, this personage, Satan, it always has an article attached to it. So uh, the article, the, is ha in, in, in Hebrew. So it's ha-satan. So if you hear, if you're reading Hebrews, it's Satan, it means there's a human adversary involved. If you see Hasatan, that means you talk about the, the capital A uh, person uh, adversary, Satan. In Greek, it ends up being devil, diabolos, uh, but we're talking about the same concept. The same, not this concept is an abstraction and a fictitious idea, but the same uh, real uh, personage. So here's Jesus uh, in this moment. It says uh, in, Ma in uh, Matthew 4, 11, uh, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, Hasatan. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, another name uh, for the devil, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written. Let me pause here for just a moment. Uh, do you know the Word of God well enough to say it is written? And do you know the Word of God? Are you getting to know the Word of God well enough that if somebody takes it out of context, you're able to say, it is also written. It is also written. Context is everything. Amen. Uh, it should be everything to you if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're sitting here today saying, I was dragged here against my will, but promised brunch, uh, and you're saying, I, I don't know about this whole Bible thing, I'm just being a polite guest today. All right, great. But you need context also. Many times people dismiss uh, or disdain uh, the Bible, God's Word, because they've never seen it contextually, therefore they don't know how powerful it is, how, how, how true and right it is. And they see something trite and irrelevant. Uh, so here you have this very intense encounter where Satan, the adversary, the deceiver, the tempter, is quoting, or shall we say, misquoting Scripture. Quoting true Scripture but misapplying it, taking it out of context. Uh, and let me tell you why all of us have the capacity to get this. Every child is an expert on context. Let me, let me frame it this way for you. Have you ever, if you're a parent or a grandparent, have you ever turned at just the right moment to see one child hitting another child? <laughs> and you say, hey, 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 whoa, 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 what's going on here? And every child immediately goes to context. They say this, he hit me first. She made me do it. Mom, Dad, let me explain things to you. Let me give you a larger context and a more accurate perspective about what you just witnessed in part. You have a partial handle of the truth. Let me give you the full, not that I'm guilty or not guilty. I'm not saying one or the other. I'm just saying, let me explain this to you, right? It's context. For it is written, Jesus said, uh, Satan says, and then Jesus answers him, it is also written. Let me give you the context of Satan. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. Have you ever bought anything from somebody who didn't own it? Only to find that, well, I bought it. They sold it. You're right, but they didn't own it. So it's not yours. They gave you something they had no right to give you. Ironic, isn't it? If Jesus is who he says he is, that all things were created through him, all things were held together in him. And somebody says, hey, I'll sell you your stuff. Have you ever bought your own stuff from somebody? I don't think so. If you will bow down, I'll give it if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. There's a lesson in this. There was no histrionics, there were not hours of pleading, uh, yelling, screaming, it was just a very simple statement, away from the Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. So first big uh, idea of the morning is this, uh, as we talk about being rooted in Christ and the fact that we have an enemy. Jesus faced his greatest enemy. We often are fearful of facing a, a real or imagined enemy. <clears throat> There's a, 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 a story about a man who was processing a dream 
uh, story is that he was telling us about himself. He said, I kept having this dream. <clears throat> and in this dream, uh, I would be running away from this person chasing me. And I, could, I just knew they were angry. It was scary. So I just knew I had to run. I kept running, running, running. I, <clears throat> I kept having this dream. Uh, and, and finally, talking it over with a the therapist, uh, the therapist said, well, have you ever thought about just stopping and turning and facing whoever's chasing you? This person was like, oh, I'm scared. Yeah, you're more scared having this perpetual dream. So he said, okay. So the next time the guy had the dream, he's running, running, running. This, this, this person, this evil presence is chasing him. So finally he said, oh, that's right. And he stops, he turns around and it's himself. He was looking at himself. So real or imagined enemy of Jesus was willing to face him. Uh, are you facing your enemies? Not only did Jesus face his greatest enemy, he died to save us from that enemy. He faced the enemy, he, he named the enemy, he knew the enemy, and he did what he needed to do to save us, to protect us, to redeem us from that enemy. Have you ever had to face an enemy? Have you ever, think about it, in your own life, have you ever had to actually confront a true enemy? Maybe you were bearing witness in a court case about somebody who really acted in a way that would identify them as an enemy. Have you ever had to confront an enemy? <clears throat> have you ever had to face an enemy that you knew they might be able to do you in, but you needed to face them? Uh, Memorial Day acknowledges those who gave their lives doing just that. Uh, you already know that. Uh, Memorial Day is a way to celebrate and remember those people who face an enemy on our behalf uh, and gave their lives for us. Uh, so we remember those who gave their lives defending freedom and fighting tyranny. Uh, in two weeks, June 6th, uh, we will remember, uh, celebrate, it sounds like too happy of a word, we'll remember the D-Day invasion. June 6th, uh, 1944, 75 years ago, when <clears throat> uh, a scared but committed 20-year-old uh, landed on the beach in Normandy along with 156,000 other American troops. Uh, and this kid, if he was here, I, that might say young man, but this is just us. Saying he's a 20-year-old kid, scared out of his wits, surrounded by a bunch of people about the same age, probably. Uh, and, but he's taken captive by the Nazis, and he spends the rest of the war being horribly treated as a POW. Eventually, he was awarded three Purple Hearts. I didn't know you could have more than one. Uh, the record is eight. If you're given a Purple Heart, it's for being wounded or killed in, in a battle. And uh, the record holder is eight. And so what they do is they give you one Purple Heart, and they give you an oak leaf cluster for every additional Purple Heart. Uh, so he was awarded three Purple Hearts. Uh, Bob Valera passed away yesterday at 10.30. Seems fitting. A man in his 90s who was at one point that 20-year-old kid passed away on Memorial Day. Uh, Bob was sitting right over there uh, on Easter Sunday. Uh, years ago, uh, I was at a, at a little small dinner party and Bob was there and his son, adult son Robert and his daughter-in-law Holly were at the dinner and Holly and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. And, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I, I think maybe I asked a question, you know, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through, what was it like in your experience, and, and, and Bob then started to tell us things he'd never told anybody before, and our child's Bob, as he talked about his experience being a POW, and, and Robert and Holly were like, oh my gosh, I've heard this. 
And, and, and he's just, he just, it all just came out. And what would you say? And, and he's looking at me like I can have an answer or some response. I just said, I'm so sorry I went through such a horrible thing. That was the most horrible thing I could imagine going through. Well, here's God's grace in the whole bit of it. Sitting next to him, none of this arranged and thought about ahead of time, but sitting next to him was a guy who leaned over and put his arm around him, who had spent seven and a half years in the Hanoi Hills and as a POW. A, a Navy fighter pilot who was shot out of the sky. He was a presiding officer under whom John McCain and all the other junior officers looked for support. And he just comforted him by saying, yeah, that was horrible. Thank you for doing that on our behalf. He's like, whoa. What would you say to Bob if he was sitting there today, right? Say, thank you. Words aren't adequate to say thank you, and we will never forget. <clears throat> the thing that hit me most was hearing of Bob's experience at the hand of his enemies. It was just... Enemies, just the word unsettles you, doesn't it? Just hearing the word enemy. We just don't like to think we have them, but they, they could be out there. Uh, no mom, no dad, uh, praying with your child, sitting them down the alley to Loyola Elementary, or dropping them off at, at, at the school they attend, would say the last thing to them, honey, remember, you have an enemy. You just never say that. But you're visual, right? It's appearance. And who's that strange person? Strange to you because you don't know them, and they look suspicious because they're standing around where your kid could be at risk, right? All of us uh, get, get wigged out thinking we might have an enemy. <clears throat> you're walking down an inner city street late at night in a city you're not familiar with, and you're, you realize you're lost, and all of a sudden some big dudes are coming down the street toward you, and you think, oh, dear God, I'm going to get hurt, robbed, attacked, assaulted. And, and you, you think it's all over, and as they come closer to you, uh, one of them smiles and says, are you lost? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys live here? Yeah, we're just going to have a Bible study. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought so, probably. Yeah, that's what I figured you'd be. In fact, we'll walk you over there. Thank you so much, you know. Enemy. Uh, in this world, we encounter enemies. People want to hurt or even destroy us. Most of us can usually avoid these sorts of enemies, right? Not always, but mostly we can. Probably the most common threats we face are from frenemies. You've heard that term, a frenemy. A person you know or you're familiar with. Do you know that most assaults, murders, most abuse uh, is committed by people who would come under the category of frenemy? They could be a minister or a priest. They could be a coach. They could be a teacher. They could be a relative. The boyfriend or girlfriend of your parent who's so irresponsible that this person's in your home. It could be the person you see all the time. Why do you think every good or bad mystery movie or novel, the butler did it? Why could the butler do all these things? It's a busy butler. The butler does it because the butler has access. Familiarity makes you comfortable with the butler, with the gardener, with the serviceman. Think of all the people you let in your home. The frenemy. Is the user, abuser, assault, or murderer, uh, often known by the victim. And our innate insecurity increases our anxiety. Is this an enemy or is this a friend? I wonder. Uh, this is maybe a guy thing. <clears throat> if I asked these guys honestly, women, you'd be shocked. So I will. All guys stand up. No, don't do that. I have asked more guys. In fact, I was talking to a guy who is in his uh, early 70s. He's, he's built like a, an NFL linebacker. <clears throat> I said, hey, so I just have a question to ask you. He goes, yeah, sure. I said, to this day, 
If you're in a group, when you walk in a new situation, you see a guy, do you ask yourself the question, can I take him? He starts laughing, how did you know? I said, that's just a guy thing. It's that schoolyard, hey, can I take this guy? And I want to ask you to raise hands. But if you're a woman sitting next to a guy, you think that's guy, that guy's capable of thinking that way? Of course you'd raise your hand, but yes, I think so, yeah. Famed chef Marcus Samuelson, if you're a foodie, you know the celebrity chef Marcus Samuelson has all these great restaurants in New York City, he's always on these food shows as a judge. Grew up in Ethiopia, adopted by a Scandinavian family, lives in a little village as a kid. He says this, I might have looked on my childhood differently if I hadn't met Matt's Karastan. He's my oldest friend. We met when I was five years old and I realized there was only one kid in the neighborhood who was as good as me at soccer. That was Matt's. And I knew, even then, that if we were going to either hate each other or become friends. And he says, the best of friends. He says, we became the best of friends. Enemies, real or imagined. Uh, I can't tell you how many friends uh, became friends after we had a fight on the playground or on the neighborhood. Like best bud. Maybe you've had that experience. Uh, Abraham Lincoln suggested we destroy our enemies by making them our friends. One of his cabinet members said, President Lincoln, these people are taking you out. They're every day in the press, they're, they're mocking you, they're harassing you, they're critiquing you. Uh, you've got you to destroy them. He said, I am. I have a plan to destroy my enemies. I'm going to make them my friends. And of course, he was riffing on Jesus' admonition. Jesus' command, love your enemies. This is what Jesus did, right? And Paul writes, he says, when we were still enemies, Christ died for us. The just for the unjust. So ultimately, uh, we have to then put it in perspective. Ultimately, I guess, people are not our enemy. Why can I say that with authority and confidence? Because Jesus died for people. For God so loved the world. He gave his life for them, right? This is the enigma that we face. We have enemies, real and imagined, but they aren't people. They might do horrifically bad things. Those Nazi soldiers who tormented Avalara certainly behave like enemies. But ultimately, we know from our perspective, because of Easter, that they are victims of the enemy. They're doing things that the enemy would have them do, not because the enemy controls them, but because they're listening to some other voice than the voice of God. So, oh, by the way, uh, the roots of Memorial Day are in the Civil War. Maybe you're about this. It was called Decorations Day, decorate the graves of people who have given them their lives. The Civil War, think about the Civil War for a second. Americans treated one another as enemies. It's, it's probably the greatest scandal. If you think about all the scandalous things that have happened in our nation, probably the most scandalous one is the Civil War, because of all the elements that, that contributed to make it what it is. If only they had aligned against their real enemy, right? Slavery. If only they had embraced their common cause, freedom. And maybe in a self-righteous way, we can look back and say, oh my gosh, why didn't they do anything differently? I would just ask the same of us now. You're not seeing a lot of friends singing Kumbaya hand in hand in Washington, D.C. We're, we're a nation divided, we're a house divided, and a nation, house, family, marriage, church, workplace divided cannot stand. It will fail. And so Satan had a field day sowing discord among brothers and sisters in the Civil War. And that continues. It precedes the Civil War and it continues to this day. Satan is having a field day sowing discord in the hearts and minds of people, in marriages, in families, in friendships, 
churches and schools, on teams, in cities, counties, and every level of government worldwide, every culture. And by the way, uh, 3 p.m. on Memorial Day, Monday, uh, is a day that's typically designated as a time of silence to remember. So remember those people, the mindful errors in your life, in your world. If you may feel known, you just stop and remember and say, Lord, I thank you for people who have been willing to, to serve, to, 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 and even sacrifice themselves uh, to protect me, uh, to care for other people. A person who dies trying to save somebody from drowning, it turns out they couldn't swim. Uh, just take a, take a time for those people, both in the military and you've known in your life, who lived that kind of life. And while you're taking that moment to remember, remember this, your true adversary and enemy is Satan. And that person that maybe comes to mind as your enemy is simply being influenced by Satan. Remember, Satan can't make us do anything, but he can influence us. Uh, and so even that person who feels like an enemy is truly not your enemy. You're the person Christ died for. That's why uh, <clears throat> uh, we, we need to be vigilant about the fact that we have an enemy. First Peter 5.8 says it this way, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Your enemy, named you by Peter, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How? What do lions do? Lions look for our vulnerability. Lions look for our inattention. Uh, one time Phil, Jim, and I were in, in uh, Malawi together and we were not on a game drive, you do the really early in the morning and late in the day, the rest of the time you're, you know, actually we were at the end of a very intense mission thing and we were doing some debriefing for a couple days in a game park and we came upon, I think it was like four lions, just amazing, I didn't see that many lions and, and in the Range Rover, open Range Rover, I, I started to stand up to get a better look and the guy just squeezed it down. As long as we're this one unit, they won't bug us. As soon as you stand up, you're dinner. So I sat down and said, Phil, you should stand up. You should stand up. <laughs> I stood up, you should stand up. No, I didn't say that. Uh, and he devours us by dividing us, isolating us. If you're isolated, you are vulnerable, you are at risk. He works to separate us from God and one another. Uh, having lived for the last 30 plus years in Newport Beach, California, and La Jolla, California, there's a lot of really unprotected, at-risk people who think they're living a guard-gated life. I've got all the resources to protect myself. I am not at risk. Nobody can get at me. Right. Right. I, I know you're at risk. How do you know I'm at risk? Because you're using material things to make yourself feel secure. I know you're at risk because you feel like you've done everything to check all the boxes so that you don't suffer risk. Uh, I know you're at risk because we're all at risk when we do things like self-medicate with anything to numb the pain and the lack of purpose that can't help but insinuate itself into our life when we're not focused on Christ. Very sophisticated, very smart people are at risk, just as people are in the inner city when they're, they're feeling like, I, I must be the prey because there's a lot of predators here. Uh, all of us at all times are victims of this enemy and his diabolical schemes. And that's why John writes in 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came into the world to destroy the devil's work. 
who is this devil? Who is this Hasatan? Uh, he's depicted as serpent, angel of light, hungry lion, deceiver, destroyer. Primarily he's a liar and the father of lies. Uh, I love Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, one little word will fell him. And some of us have surmised that could be the word Lord. Yeah, certainly. Lord or Jesus. The phrase Lord Jesus. But really, it's probably the word liar. I just have to remember one thing about Satan. Liar. I know all I need to know about Satan. I don't need to read books, be obsessed with Satan. I just need to know he's a liar. One little word will fell him. You are the liar. You are the deceiver. And in Jesus' name, uh, I resist you. So Satan opposes God and wants us to say no to God's word and no to God's will. And the more sophisticated we think we are, the more vulnerable and at risk we are. He wants us to believe God is all about no and withholding freedom from us. This is the, this is the third chapter of Genesis. Did God really say the situation is, I think he's holding out on you. If you only knew what you don't know, you might find out that God is actually holding out on you. He's doing a deal that you're not a part of and you're going to miss out. This is how you're going to get equity and equality. This is your true path to freedom. Here. Try this. Embrace this. Do this. But we know this. Jesus is God's yes. Jesus is God's yes. So by his grace, we say yes and turn to God and trust Him. How do we know this? The Word of God tells us. Uh, Paul writing to these people in Corinth and Greece. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. God is all about the yes. Yes, I love you. Yes, you're lost without me. Yes, your life matters. Yes, you can have a purpose. Yes, I created you to be in a relationship with me. Yes, I'm here for you. Yes, I care about you. Yes, I include you in this amazing act that we celebrate at Easter. And so through him, all right, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen, another version of yes, so be it. We agree with God, yes. Yes to everything you've said, yes to everything you do. Why say no when Jesus is such a, a magnificent example of God's yes? And so uh, we read here <coughs> that, oh, excuse me, uh, second point, God and Satan are not equal or equivalent anyway. That's the second big idea. The first is that Jesus confronted his enemy uh, and, and, and in order to protect us from that enemy, to redeem and save us from the enemy. Second big idea, God and Satan are not equal or equivalent in any way. We have this crazy idea, a uh, fanciful idea in, in, in our mindset that, that God and Satan are two equal and opposite forces. Because we don't understand who God is or who Satan is. They're not equal and opposite. And so we, we, we then we make it sound kind of kind of sophisticated. Well, it's kind of a yin-yang thing. Light, dark, hot, and cold. We need, we need them both to have a full picture of what uh, reality is all about. No. One is the real deal. One's a distortion of the real deal. Uh, God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time and yet not contained in creation. Right? It's not pantheism. God is in everything, but God is everywhere. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, omniscient. Uh, he's omnipresent. Guess what? Satan is not. Satan can be one place at one time. Satan doesn't know anything but the past. Satan doesn't know the future. And he doesn't have any power over you. 
Yeah, yeah, but how about when Satan, it seems like Satan or demons can, can tell you things about yourself. It's like Sherlock Holmes can tell you things about yourself. An astute observer can say, hey, I can see you've been in Afghanistan. And Dr. Watson says, how did you know that? And then Sherlock tells him all the reasons why he could see uh, signs of him having been in Afghanistan. Let that sink in. God and Satan are not equal. And they're not opposite in the sense that they've counteract each other. Satan can't make you do anything. And that's why James writes, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has nothing to offer you. Anything he says is a lie. He can't deliver what he promises. It's a head game. Whatever spiritual power he has is about influence, not about control over you. That's why even when we use the term demon possession, it's probably not the most accurate term we could use. Because it says that somehow Satan owns you. If he owns you because you're lost to God or separate from God, that's a different thing than saying he gets to control everything you think and do. So technically, nobody can be demon-possessed. They can be demon-influenced. They can be demon-overwhelmed. They can have capitulated to the power of darkness. And so when you see people who seem to be out of control and, and the demon is speaking through them, they still are not um, possessed. Because at any point, they could say, in Jesus' name, I resist you. In Jesus' name, I reject you. That's why we can deliver somebody uh, from demonic oppression uh, and influence. Not by our power, but by the power of Jesus, right? So Satan is really a sad example of creaturely, willful disobedience and rebellion that we then in turn emulate, even if we don't believe in him. The Bible reveals Satan is the enemy of everything good, everything beautiful, everything true. If it's beautiful, Satan can maybe uh, mimic it, but can't create it. If it's good, Satan can maybe mimic it, but he can't create it. If it's true, Satan can mimic it, he can even quote scripture as we know. Ironically, probably demons uh, know more about Scripture than most followers of Jesus. The problem is they don't know how to apply it, and they can't submit to it, they won't submit to it. I, I love the way um, C.S. Lewis treats them screw tape letters. Screw tape, the senior tempter, the senior demon trying to mentor the younger, his protege, Wormwood. And Wormwood says, hey, <clears throat> great news, I'm working on uh, the, uh, the client, <laughs> the victim, and I've got him, I've, I, every time he thinks about God, I come up with an argument against God, and, and Sweet Tape says, oh, no, no, bad idea. Don't ever let him think about the enemy. That's the beginning of the end for us, because if he thinks about the enemy, it'll start to make sense to him. And it'll be compelling and attractive to him. No, no, no. Get him to focus on the person sitting in front of him in church that's distracting him. Distract him by other trivial things. Don't let him, ever let him think about our enemy because that's the beginning of the end for us. Don't be so foolish. Because the enemy is so substantial. He is good. He is beautiful. He is true. That wins the day every time. In fact, we see uh, Isaiah describing Satan. Uh, the way this is initially pre presented in Isaiah 14 is part of a larger uh, uh, observation uh, God making through Isaiah to the people refers to a Babylonian king. But there's this one section of it that is more than the Babylonian king can be considered for. And it's this. Isaiah says this, speaking for God, have you, uh, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. Morning star, son of the dawn. That's an exalted name, isn't it? You know what morning star means? Lucifer. Lucifer. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. 
You said in your heart, I will ascend into heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the Most High. And Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, says this. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Amen. How do we know this is about Satan? I've heard people say, oh, no, 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 man, you don't even understand. It's about a Babylonian king. I know it's about a Babylonian king, but it's bigger than a message about the Babylonian king. How do I know that? Again, it is written, because Jesus knew that. And so we see in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples. He says, don't bring anything, don't take anything with you. Just go out and in my name, um, cast out demons, heal the sick. Do whatever good you can. And they come back and tell me what you learned and what you did. They return and they say, oh, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. At which point Jesus uh, says to them, hey, that's great, but take your glory not in what they did in response to you. Take your glory in your, in your sense of well-being that you, your name is written in heaven. And then Jesus follows that by saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's a direct quote from Isaiah 14. So Jesus took this as a description of Satan, not just as a description of the Babylonian king that was initially referring to. So because Jesus prevailed, we understand that Satan will not prevail. Uh, Satan's power was, was broken um, by Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Satan is at work in the world, and the big question is why. We don't understand all of God's purposes, but we know he will be ultimately destroyed. But right now, his power uh, has no hold over us, just like death ultimately has no hold over us. Uh, don't you wish you'd be having a conversation with Bob Valera right now, but Bob, what's it like? Definitely better than being a POW, don't you? And even better than living uh, for the last 50 years in a lawyer. is our refuge and strength, we will prevail in him. And so again, John writing in John, 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If we could see Satan, we'd probably be freaked out, at least tempted to freak out. Oh my gosh. This powerful being. Yes, a creature. A creature with absolutely zero power over you. Zero. Satan cannot make you do anything you choose not to do. Unless you're so vulnerable at risk because you're not paying attention to the world, right? Uh, and so that brings us to the third point. Therefore, we embrace Jesus, and in his name we resist Satan. <clears throat> you never get to this place where you go, I'm so spiritually mature and knowledgeable now, I think I can handle it. No, you cannot handle it. Nobody can handle it. That's why we embrace Jesus. If you don't remember one thing I say today about Satan, don't worry about it. Just embrace Jesus. Don't go home and say, oh, I need to know more about Satan. You don't need to know one more thing about Satan. Nothing is serious. That's why the Bible says very little about Satan. Have you noticed that? And the only time we see massive examples of demons being cast out is in the New Testament. Why? Demons have always existed. Why in the New Testament? Because God shows up and calls them out. Even Jesus walking into a synagogue a man uh, oppressed by a demon calls out, Hey, I know who you are, son of the God Messiah. What do you, what do you plan to do here? 
And, and Jesus cast the demon out, right? So why all the demonic activity in the New Testament not the old? Because God himself comes to call out the liar himself and all his minions. Uh, in fact, uh, 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 Milton, in, in that wonderful poem, uh, Paradise Lost, I think it's like a book two, he says, of Satan. Satan says, I'd rather be the king of hell than a servant in heaven. That's how warped it is. And again, Scooty Letter, C.S. Lewis makes a super insightful observation. He says, you know, here are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. Plural, right? Satan and all the demons. Now remember, he's saying this in the context of being a professor um, at Oxford University. Technically, he was a tutor at Oxford. Why? Because he, he is so ticked off all these elites at Oxford that they wouldn't promote him to professor. They made him be a tutor perpetually until finally Cambridge said, we're hiring you as a professor, giving you everything you want. And all of a sudden Oxford said, okay, fine, fine, I'd love you to be a professor here. Why? Because they disdained the fact that he was talking about these things. And so he's, they're the example of what he's saying. Here are two, here are two evil and opposite errors. One is to disbelieve in their existence. They don't exist. Well, that's convenient for Satan. You're, you don't know your enemy exists? That's super convenient. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Uh, the demons themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Oh, you're interested? Come closer. I'll teach you more. You really find it helpful. Or, hey, I don't even think there's a Satan. We want to avoid both of those extremes. So if you never think of Satan again, that's fine. Because in Christ we've been set free and liberated from Satan's domain. Paul, writing in Colossians, says this, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then writing to the Corinthians, he says this, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Be on your guard as if, it, as if being paranoid about Satan. No. Be on your guard that you have an enemy, but better than that, you have a Lord and a Savior. And in Him, stand firm by faith. In Him, be courageous. In Him, be strong. In Him, do everything in love. And so therefore, we're learning to stand firm and steady in Jesus Christ. In Christ alone. And so uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians saying this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand. What is the armor of God? Well, he goes on to describe it. You can read it later in Ephesians 6. But basically, do you know the word of God? Do you know how to talk to God in prayer? Do you understand that by faith you can resist Satan? Do you know that you have a, a community of people supporting you in your, in your uh, journey through this world in the name of Jesus? Do you know that there are spiritual practices that can make you strong as you take that journey into your own soul? Sometimes we, in our conscious minds, are the enemy of our own soul. Why? Because we neglect and starve our own soul. So the idea isn't, isn't to retreat into one's soul. The idea is to grow strong in one's soul as your roots go down deep in Christ. So that you have the full armor of God available to you. 
It's a powerful metaphor, isn't it? It's just simple stuff. Eat, eat your vegetables. It's basically what it comes down to. Drink your milk. And do your exercises. Get strong. So remember, the battle belongs to Jesus. It's that simple. With all the complexities and all the unanswered things we still want to ask about. What about this? What about that? Uh, you don't need formulas. You don't need long, drawn-out procedures. Uh, even the process of exorcism, uh, the way it's often displayed in popular media and culture, is it's an over-exaggeration. Why? Because the battle has been won by Jesus. Zephaniah, uh, Zechariah, yeah, Zephaniah 3, uh, 17 says it this way. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. It's Jesus' battle, and Jesus has won the battle. So we focus on Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone, above all others and above all else. Jesus has defeated Satan through the cross and through his resurrection, through his ascension in heaven. And he will return to create a new heaven and a new earth, and Satan will be destroyed forever. In the meantime, he has no power over you that we can harass you and harry you and make life uncomfortable for you. So if you're having a really horrible day with big emotions attached to it, you're in a really difficult situation, and you realize, I think I'm in over my head here. Look at your WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? I think it might, what would Janet do? Bracelet? WWJD bracelet? And I think, hey, you know, I just need to focus on Christ right now. Because where I'm taking this is not a really good place to go. And by the way, Satan, be gone. Just a little, you can use a little thing. Satan, you have no place here. This is about Jesus right now. Just that simple uh, will get you on to the next place where you can encounter God's answer, God's solution to whatever situation you're in. Your enemy will harass you and try to discourage you, but you can stand strong in Christ. And you'll never outgrow that. You'll always need that. And what a gift it is if you have that. So I leave you with these words. Uh, Paul writing to his second letter to the Corinthians. Therefore we do not lose heart. Therefore we don't lose heart. Our hearts are filled with the love of Christ. We are close to the heart of God. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. On what is unseen. Not just what is to come, but what is presently unseen. That God himself through his Holy Spirit is working in you, transforming you, answering your prayers, listening to your pleas, your cries, protecting you from the enemy who prowls around looking for a chance to devour you, but can't get at you because you are in Christ. What is unseen? Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternal. The Word of God, eternal. The people of God, eternal. So Lord Jesus, help us to look at the right things in the right way. Help us to open our hearts and minds to you. Maybe today for the first time, there's those who have never put our faith in you. And maybe have been spending all our energy resisting you and defending ourselves against you. Lord, uh, come into our life today. For those, Lord, who know you but are feeling discouraged and beaten down, feeling unworthy of your love, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that your love is enough. 
And we simply need to open our hearts and our minds to you in a fresh way, letting you grow us up into the fullness of what you've uh, made possible. So Lord, we thank you and praise you for being who you are, doing what you do. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. This brings us to a time of tithes and offering as the ushers come forward. If you have your bulletins, your prayer connection cards, you can take those out and place those in the basket. This is a time for those who call the Holy Community Church home, where we give back out of the blessings we've received, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity to partner with the gospel in this community. So let's continue our morning worship with giving and song.
Ian. This is his last Sunday. I want to thank him for his service in his church, and I want to have him say a few words to you before we pray for him. So, Ian, uh, you've been a gift to this church. Thank you for your service. Um, and we are, we have mixed feelings, but we know you feel like God is calling you, and we want to support that. And tell us. You summed it up. <laughs> well, first, I just want to thank everybody here. Just from the moment I've been here, you guys have been fantastic. I mean, I can start naming names, but, I, you know, it would be everybody here. We'd be here until way past lunch. But just thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, if I, a little bit later, those are allergies. Um, nothing else. But I'm not emotional. Can I take him? Yes, I can take him. <laughs> but it's, it's hard for us, to, for me, to sing a song like, to, to, My soul to you, Lord, I surrender. All I am is yours. And not listen when he calls. Today's sermon was perfect because it's this battle between the flesh and the spirit where the flesh is saying, I want to be comfortable, but the spirit is saying, come, follow me. Jesus is saying, come, follow me. And when I told Steve that uh, my time was here was ending, after he was done crying on my shoulder, we had a good, a good hug, and it, we really just realized this is an opportunity, an opportunity for this congregation. And ever since it came out that I was leaving, the, the amount of volunteers stepping up and saying, hey, what can I do to serve my church? I love what we're doing here. What can I do to jump in and start and being a blessing, to fill the gaps, to make sure everything's taken care of? And that is a fantastic opportunity. And I just thank you guys for stepping into that. And it's just been, it's just been fantastic. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for this man of God. We thank you for answering. We thank you for giving him a call. And, and we, we support him in answering that call. Lord, thank you for uh, the way he's prepared himself to serve you and the way he's served you faithfully the last 20 months here. Now, Lord, uh, with mixed emotions, uh, we will continue to uh, pray for him, knowing that though he's not here, he's serving you as you lead him uh, and, and identify what you want him to do and how you want him to do it. So, Lord, we thank you uh, for the way you've worked in him and through him in this place, trusting that you will do that uh, as he steps out in faith to follow your calling. Be with him and Becca and the kids. We pray, Lord, that you would open doors and you confirm your calling uh, in their lives. We thank you for making them fruitful ambassadors of you. And pray that you sustain them in that high and holy calling, both as a family and as your disciples. So, Lord, we commit uh, Ian to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.